Welcome to The Downline, the official podcast for the Association of Diving Contractors International. With ADCI Executive Director Phil Newsom, Board Member Gary Jones, and Commercial Diver Armando Gonzalez. Join us as we dive into the latest news in the dive industry worldwide. Welcome to The Downline, your place for commercial diving industry news. Today we have our host, Phil Newsom, the ADCI Executive Director, and we have Armando Gonzalez of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack and Gary Jones from Broco Rankin. Our guest today is Richard Freiberg from SubSouth High Performance Inflatables. They also did sponsor this episode along with Baytech located in Louisiana. If you haven't got a chance to check out Baytech's new application, it allows you to order commercial diving equipment and other accessories right there from your phone via an app. And you can download that uh, in the Apple or Android app stores. So welcome, guys. How you guys doing? Doing great. Gary and uh, everyone else, thank you for this opportunity to the ADCI and uh, Bottom Dwellers. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you, Rich. Yeah, we really appreciate having you uh, take the time uh, to join us here for for this episode of uh, The Downline. Um, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say, knowing just how vital the tools are that your company offers to industry, um, not only just to the industry, but the military and uh, public safety uh, agencies. So, you know, SubSalve is everywhere. I, I, in my diving with, with the Guard, um, we use your products. You've graciously have... Uh, donated some inflatables to us for our training purposes. And that's been something that has been very, very valuable and appreciated. And uh, it's been recognized by both uh, the Texas National and State Guards. So thank you very much for that, Rich. Well, Phil, thank you also. Uh, just to compliment what you said, you know, we've been in business 45 years uh, we do service a variety of different markets with our products. Um, it's taken 45 years to develop our brand and our expertise and in what we provide. So we feel like we are at the top of the game now with the most best quality um, variety of product. And those who we service in commercial diving, military, also offshore, um, and, and thank you for that compliment, but we worked hard at it. Oh, most definitely. And I think if folks haven't taken the time to go to the website and see all of the different pies that your guys' fingers are in, um, they would be surprised to find out that it's just not inflatables. Um, you know, you guys have a wide range of product lines that really meets a lot of different underwater tasks. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I know as an association, we really wanted to get out. Uh, Rich, you were very instrumental in helping us revise our uh, lift bag, underwater lift bag or underwater inflatable section. And you really brought to light kind of for us as an association, the importance of recognizing that parachute inflatables, which seem to get all of the attention in our industry, are not the only type of inflatable that's out there. Um, as And there are inflatables that are actually better purposed for underwater tasks than parachute lift bags. So well, that, that's very important to recognize. So uh, I, I think, let me back up with you a little bit. Uh, I was lucky enough to be part of a committee uh, to review the ADCI standards. Uh, I believe it's now ADCI uh, standard 6.4. Is that correct? And right now we're 6.4. We're working towards 6.5. So 6.4, we, we reviewed uh, the existing standard within the uh, consensus standards for ADCI. Uh, and and that, I'll point out which one that is. It's 5.33.1 through 5.33.8. And we covered 
a good amount of uh, in, information to help our members, to help our, our, our general members. And uh, it took us about, well, maybe close to a year to review all of our standards and how it compares to the IMCA standard, which is only for parachute bags. And I think to your point, a lot of people don't really recognize the fact that that IMCA standard addresses only parachute type lift bags. Additionally, the reason we make so many different varieties of underwater buoyancy in different shapes and types is application driven. And we, we have open bottom parachutes, we have enclosed cylindrical shaped bags, we have pillow shaped enclosed bags, and they, they are all designed to satisfy certain uh, job requirements. So it, it, is, it is really specific to the application of what the product is used for to generate buoyancy for different reasons. Uh, the, the IMCA standard really only addresses uh, open bottom parachutes, which is very limited part of the total product line and what is used by the commercial diving industry. So uh, I thank you for that, that lead in, but that's why after 45 years, we offer the variety of shape and size products, primarily buoyancy, uh, for application in the commercial diving industry. So Rich, can I just, I, I know we have a series of questions that um, we want to ask you, but I also wanted to point out for folks that, you know, we, you, you guys also create bladders to house different types of liquids and fuels. Um, I, I know definitely for military applications and other industrial applications. And then you also developed a mask for hospital use during COVID-19. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Phil, you're pushing all the buttons today, aren't you? Uh, so, yeah, we, we consider ourselves to be innovators in engineered inflatables and beyond uh, buoyancy and flotation for underwater application, we have a, a, a pretty significant uh, line of what we call liquid containment bladders. They're used not only in, in military, but offshore as well. Uh, having just come back from the Offshore Technology Conference in Houston, uh, there are many uh, offshore applications for storage of uh, fuel, diesel, gasoline, uh, water, potable water, wastewater, uh, even different type of drilling liquids that may have application offshore. So uh, again, applying the uh, technology of how we make our underwater buoyancy and flotation, we use very heavy coated fabrics that are uh, resistant to different fuels and petrochemicals, uh, to store different types of liquids within bladders, which we make as large as 300,000 gallons. Enormous. Uh, beyond that, we, we also provide um, pneumatic jacks that are, again, inflatable bags that are used to uh, lift aircraft that come down on runways. And in, in fact, underwater as well, we use sometimes our inflatable jacks instead of using them with air. We've had applications underwater where they're inflated with water uh, to generate lift uh, in pipeline application where the, our inflatable jacks are filled with water to raise and align pipeline joints. So uh, a, a vast a uh, variety of, of applications of inflatables that we've engineered and manufactured. By the way, uh, we have two locations in the U.S. Everything is domestically manufactured with domestically produced raw materials. So we're very proud that um, we've been able to remain competitive internationally uh, and still keep all of our manufacturing inside the U.S. And uh, uh, that's been a struggle, but uh, we're very high standard of, of maintaining that. Well, no, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I also wanted to, I don't, 
I know, like I said, we have a series of questions, but I also wanted to take this, take the opportunity to point out that, you know, in my travels internationally and having worked internationally, I've seen other folks get into the product line of inflatables and have been able to do some comparisons in terms of quality of products, specifically the stitching. And, you know, I'm here to tell you that this is not a promotion for SubSalve, but I think more than anything else, I mention it from a safety standpoint. What is a better product? Whatever it is that you use, that stitching. And I'm hoping that maybe you could shed some light if folks are looking at different types of inflatables and lift bags. What are some of the first things that, say, a lay eye could look at? to determine whether or not it's a quality product versus something that's really not fit for purpose. So I I think that's great, Phil, that you point that out. And uh, to what I said earlier, 45 years in business, uh, we've developed processes of how we manufacture, but the raw material in which we use. So uh, one of the primary differences of subsal versus other products available, we have a number of competitors uh, domestically as well as internationally. Um, we have developed our product line using polyurethane coatings. Our competitors that are throughout the world, everyone uses a PVC coating. And the difference being that polyurethane has properties that are far exceeding the, the operational properties of PVC being resistance to petrochemicals, abrasion resistance, UV resistance. Uh, those people who have used products that are made of PVC may know that it gums up when it's exposed to uh, UV for extended periods of time. It also gums up uh, during periods of exposure to petrochemicals over a period of time. And what happens when I call it gumming up it loses its adhesion. So we have very specific tests that we perform for US military contract requirements demonstrating the differences between the PU that we use, polyurethane coating, to PVC coatings. And uh, I think that to your point about safety, um, we do significant testing both in-house and by third parties in order to maintain typically a six or seven to one safety factor in all components that are used in the manufacture of the lift bags. That would be hardware like shackles, that would be webbing that's woven nylon or polyester, and that would be the cloth that we coat to to maintain these safety factors. And it's it's been an evolution. You know, starting 45 years ago, we didn't understand these things and only through experience and trial and error and uh, having a staff of engineers and participating in uh, really a vast variety of applications have we been able to raise the quality level of the products we produce. No, that's outstanding. And I so, Rich, this was kind of your brainchild 45 years ago. Can you kind of maybe just give us a Reader's Digest sort of um, summation about how things kind of came, wh- why you went this foray, foray into uh, inflatables and lift bags? So now you're going to put me on the spot, aren't you? Uh, of course. <laughs> so... Combined with, you know, having this uh, experience of manufacturing, I, I, I started diving at 15 years old. And at the time, in 1970, you couldn't even become a certified diver until you were 16 years old. So I went through the scuba diving certification route. And throughout, from, from the time I was 16 on, uh, I, I started a little summer enterprise, washing boat bottoms, raising outboard motors, um, doing any kind of work underwater that I could generate some kind of cash as a teenager uh, in high school. And my very, very early days of starting to do any kind of lifting underwater, I used 55 gallon drums. 
And we still have some people that continue to use that mode of, of generating buoyancy, which is very dangerous. And having oh that hands on experience, <laughs> oh. I, I've used the 55 gallon drums yeah. several times before. <laughs> DIT so, uses that in the salvage <laughs> projects as well. So, so, but, but beyond that, um, during my, my, uh, younger days of diving, using different types of both scuba, but surface supply, I had a Desco mass that was free flow and communications, but, uh, became versed in underwater cutting, not using Broco products. Uh, I used an actual, uh, what was called a, uh, geez, I can't even remember the name, but it was a oxyacetylene torch that had an air pocket that surrounded the oxyacetylene uh, cutting mode. Uh, but further to the buoyancy, I had 1,000 gallon, 5,000 gallon, I had as large as 20,000 gallon oil tanks that I converted to uh, essentially salvage pontoons, but rigid steel pontoons. The, the very large 20,000 gallon oil drums were about 12 feet in diameter and 30 feet long, bigger than the boat that I used. And I towed those. They weighed upwards of three tons. And uh, I developed an understanding of how buoyancy reacts underwater, how you, how you sank these huge drums, how you connected these, how you pumped the water out, which led to the, uh, really the start of subsalve in 1977 when I started to make inflatable, flexible inflatable products as a substitute of rigid buoyancy. And uh, went to my first offshore technology conference in 1977, uh, marketing our subsell products. And uh, the rest of the story is history. Well, I'm going to cap it off by letting folks know. So if folks ever wondered why Rich Freiberg is in the Commercial Diving Hall of Fame, that story that you just heard from him should bas basically fill in the narrative for that. Um, and here we are now in 2023, and look where the company is and the impact that the product line has on just the underwater world period. Forget about industry, the military, public safety, just the underwater world uh, period. Your product lines are, your, your product subsalve is iconic. And so I wanted folks to know, to be able to kind of put two and two together. Hey, this Rich Freiberg, he's on the board of directors. He works for Subsalve. He's in the Commercial Diving Hall of Fame. What is the story behind that, especially for our newer demographic that's out there that needs to know who made these products? Who's responsible for the tools that I use on a daily basis underwater? So uh, I, I want to thank you for that, Rich. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Subsalve is the world-leading designer and manufacturer of engineered inflatable products and underwater flotation. Since 1977, Subsalve has provided the highest quality standard and custom products, including customer support services and application services, to the commercial diving, construction, offshore, and military markets worldwide. With standard enclosed and open bottom lift bags from 50 pounds to 50 tons, water load test bags, inflatable pipe plugs, liquid containment bladders, and much more. Along with our custom design and manufacturing capabilities, Subsalve can help provide a solution for your next project. See us online at www.subsalve.com or call us today. Phil, th thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to have this time, but um, just a little bit further to that is that from 1977 to uh, 2023, I've been lucky enough to participate probably in thousands of projects uh, which validate 
how the product is used and why the product is manufactured and been developed the way that it has. It's through hands-on experience. And I've been lucky to be able to travel the world, uh, dive in commercial diving uh, scenarios, along with military diving, along with military divers for underwater ordnance disposal um, worldwide as well. And right now, uh, our world is a, it, a very critical stage with protecting uh, our assets. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say uh, we've been part of developing systems for retrieving and removing uh, ordnance underwater to make things safer and protect uh, sovereign nations. And uh, that's a huge accomplishment, which we're very proud of. I think that's amazing, Phil. I mean, how many CEOs do you know that are still hands-on, getting down and dirty, doing the deeds, still developing stuff? I mean, you think he'd be sitting back counting his millions, right? No, he, well, he still has time to do that, but he also, <laughs> he also goes, you know, to virtually every trade show that's out there, even if it's, you know, even if it's recreational scuba or it's anything that has to do with the underwater world, Subsalve, I see the brand there. And so, you know, again, guys, I think the biggest thing is making sure that the newer demographic that's come into the industry today understands it. I understand it because I'm definitely not part of the newer demographic, but we've got a lot of guys that are out there that are graduating from schools. And while they were in schools, they're using your products for the practical training. Uh, that That's great. And, and we do provide uh, many of the schools we donate to to support their education. But I, I think that, you know, I'm passionate and still passionate about what we do. And I, I want to make a difference in the the, the safety of, of our members, of the use of our products. And I've got a great team. It's, it's taken 45 years to uh, develop the team that we've got, our engineers on staff and, and our customer service people. And we do. We participate. And, and I think the difference is, is that people see me visibly. If there is a problem, if there is a, an event that requires attention, I, I'm not a person that I can't be reached. You can come and you can see me. And now I don't think every company has that um, visibility or open opportunity to contact the, the ownership or the management of a company in the event that you've got some issue that needs to be resolved. And uh, I'm, I'm up, up front and visible and vocal to, to promote the safety of the industry. And this all falls under the fact that you are very passionate about what it is that you do, and you're very passionate about this industry. Uh, and that comes across not only at every board meeting that we have, but really anytime that I see you at a venue, um, commercial diving venue, you know, that's not something that you take lightly. You're, you're usually engaged in some conversation that has to do with the industry. So I know Gary has been incredibly patient. He's got a series of questions. He's probably thinking, I know what you're thinking inside the head of yours. All right, when are you going to turn it over to me? So Gary's got some questions. Right I, I was trying to uh, hop in there because everything you ask, I mean, and everything you said up to this point, Phil, uh, is absolutely true. Uh, I've seen... I travel a lot as well for Broco and I've seen Richard's products everywhere that I've gone and they are the, the standard in the industry. And, um, one of the questions I had, cause I was recently on a trip to India and I ran into some counterfeit Broco products. And one of the things I had was how do you, I mean, when you have such a quality product, how do you stop the counterfeit or address it? Or at least, you know, show the market how to recognize your product versus a counterfeit product. That, that is a problem, uh, Gary. And I know that Broco has experienced that, as has uh, Kirby Morgan, as has Subsalve. And it, it, it's difficult to enforce outside of the U.S. Um, unfortunately, 
there are locations in the world that can produce product at a lower price, and but they don't deliver the quality and the safety that Proco does or Subsalve does or Kirby Morgan does. And I think it, it's it's the responsibility of the of the company clearly, but your who represents you in those different locations, uh, who you protect, need to also protect you. So if it's identified that um, there is competition using your name with product that you haven't manufactured, we need help as manufacturers from those representatives, from those agents to know that um, the product is being counterfeited and it's, it's very difficult to police. It's very difficult to enforce any kind of, uh, you know, correction to that, but it's partly about how you educate the end user. And I think, and, and that is really the basis of ADCI trying to educate uh, those members on safety, uh, not only in operations, but in the products to use. And, and that's a difficult challenge that we'll continue to have to deal with. Armando's got a question about training. I'm going to turn it over to him real quick, Armando. Yeah, I, I just had a uh, question as far as training is concerned. Uh, so your products, you have directions on how to use. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can go to your website, right? And, and you have your basic directions. Is that correct? Yeah, we have what we call an operations manual. And it is, it is something that we use to provide guidelines. And, and I think that uh, how you identify what it is. So, you know, ADCI has a consensus standard with lift bag uh, recommended operational guidelines. Uh, IMCA has something similar, which is operational guidelines. We also have our own company produced lift bag manual and guidelines and that it's fairly extensive about uh, use and operations of open bottom bags and closed bags, rigging of bags, maintenance of bags, inspection of bags. And as far as as, as far as training is concerned, um, that takes place through the schools and through competent people, right? So we, we offer um, different types of training to military and also in the commercial diving industry. That is a paid for um, offer that we, we have available to end users. Um, we, we provide the guidelines assuming that they are a certified uh, experienced diving company that has already gone through basic training of commercial diving, as well as whatever lift bag training they receive at the school that they may have attended. We provide our uh, manual and guide operational guidelines as a supplement to what they've already been trained basically. What, what we do, due to the experience that we've got, which is hands-on for years, we also offer technical support meaning that if they have a particular application, we can assist them in recommending and modeling a solution. And combined with training and technical support is how we've enabled ourselves to uh, provide the product that they need to, to perform a particular task. So it's very important to be uh, trained in the use of your products by you know maybe a third party, right? or yourself if you have the trainers that get sent out? So we've, we've done all of those things, which would be, you know, providing assistance in a training program at schools. Uh, we've also participated in, in military applications and some commercial applications to train the trainer. So if a company uh, has someone that uh, is responsible for uh, establishing guidelines of operation, we'll help that trainer within the organization will help train the trainer. And uh, again, that's evolved over time and uh, not have, if you didn't have the ongoing hands-on experience that our company has, uh, it would be very difficult to do. We've got competitors um, in other countries that manufacture product, but have no sense of product application 
or a safety protocol. So that's something we're proud of that we've developed and it's taken a long time to do. And I, I think the one thing I want to kind of add to that as well, and you, you pointed it out, that there's a basic um, assumption that folks that have been formally trained in commercial diving obviously have gone through physics and the different laws with respect to buoyancy and everything else, because there is a foundation of knowledge that you should have before you start engaging with some of these tools that are out there. And looking at lift bags, since we're focusing on now, that first two weeks or week of, uh, you know, physics and decompression, you know, folks, I don't think at that particular period in their training are able to make the connection in terms of just how important it is once they start working with thing, tools such as lift bags. But you really have to have that foundation and then couple that with your manual so that you know how to approach this product um, and in a very safe manner and mitigate any type of accidents because we've had some and it's largely due, if you, if you think about it, improper rigging and just a general lack of knowledge in terms of the product itself. And how do you properly rig it up? And is this the right size? If in fact, is it the right particular type of inflatable for the lift that you're trying to embark on? So go, going to school for a brief period of time and, you know, learning the paper and the, the concept of uh, diving uh, physics and physiology is completely different than practical application. It's all about practical application. And uh, again, back to, you know, how you provide additional um I'm going to call it education, not even training, would be to, you know, review and understand uh, the the concept and the do's and don'ts of how you apply buoyancy underwater. And we, we try to address that in our basic uh, operations manual and guidelines and provide the end user with a checklist of what do you need to think about and be prepared for? And, and, and that's very important. The, the job site, the depth of water, the condition of whatever it is that you're, you're trying to lift. Is it a single object? Is it a pipeline? Is it a vessel? And, and to that point, um, how, how, how deep it is, um, how you inflate that, the source of inflation, where and how you rig and place bags, um, we, we give that overview with a checklist in our operations manual, but even some companies and individuals who've been in this industry a very long time don't necessarily have the, the complete understanding of, of how to apply the product. And that's something that we spend a lot of time at to provide that technical support and even provide engineered modeling uh, whether it be a pipeline or a salvage project, where where we will provide uh, a variety of, of solutions to how you accomplish that task using buoyancy and the right bags to use, the right size bag. And fundamental education doesn't always cover that. It's experience in the field that uh, provides um, an understanding of how to use the product to solve a, a specific problem or uh, project that they're working on. Okay, guys, we're just going to take a second to thank our sponsors and pay the bills. Backed by 50 plus years of combined experience, Baytech Industries is the largest supplier of commercial diving equipment in the Gulf South. Baytech is the leading distributor for Kirby Morgan Dive Systems, Broco and Oxylance burning and welding equipment. Cygnus Underwater Thickness Gauges, Stanley Underwater Hydraulic Tools, Subsalve Lift Bags, and much more. Baytech Industries is a certified repair center for Kirby Morgan Diving Helmets. Our technicians are trained by Kirby Morgan's Dive Lab and can perform annual inspections, structural evaluations, and complete gel coat and fiberglass repairs. 
visit our new online store, www.underwaterhydraulics.com, your trusted online source for all commercial diving supplies. With thousands of products in stock, most orders ship the same day. You can ship your order to your home or directly to the job site. The best part of underwaterhydraulics.com is it is available 24-7. To make sourcing commercial diving equipment easier, we've launched a mobile app for Apple and Android phones. Search commercial diving equipment on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. The app is a fast and easy way to order equipment and supplies, check pricing, access Kirby Morgan blow-up parts from our Knowledge Center, and more. Keep Baytech in mind for your commercial diving equipment needs. Our team is waiting for your call. Be safe and dive on. So it really sounds like there's no excuse to improperly use your product or, you know, to, to use it incorrectly because they can just call you guys up and ask for assistance and right. We've, we've all seen the video of the Middle Eastern divers that had their umbilical wrapped up in a lift bag that went to surface. You know, that's kind of why I was bringing up the whole training aspect is if you're not comfortable, then, you know, you really should ask. Well, well, it's also it's also execution on the job site. You know, you, you ha you've got control over providing education and information. But if you don't have control on the job site, you, you don't have control. Uh, anything can happen. So are the diving supervisors paying attention? Are they following safety protocols? Are those tenders maintaining the the umbilicals and the anything else that might be in the water? Uh, to provide safe distance and protection to the diver that's in the water. And um, the information there, we provide it. Is it executed in the field as it is uh, prescribed? Not always. And so that also uh, relates to experience uh, in the field and reliance on uh, those who are managing the job or who are uh, the operators on site. Gary, did you have uh, some more questions? Yeah, I had a question. What, like, is there a common hazard that divers face while using the bag that kind of, you know, you can, you can say, okay, you know, make sure you don't do this no matter what. Or is there, is, there's something like that? Yeah, Gary, I think that, um, you know, there are, again, there are a lot of different products out there, and and not even just with the use of bags, other rigging. Um, hardware. Always use rated hardware. Use product that is uh, certified um, internationally as a safe piece of hardware, such as shackles, such as lifting uh, webbing or lifting slings. Um, and and I think that it, it those those errors or those accidents that have occurred, which Armando brought up, ha have been human error accidents, uh, but. Um, to prevent human error accidents, you need to uh, have communication to the surface about instruction and you need to confirm that you followed the attachment and the rigging uh, instructions that were given. And in not only just other offshore uh, or foreign uh, projects, we've seen it on some domestic as well. And where things are not rigged to the right location on the whatever is being raised and or have they has the diver confirmed that they followed the instructions that were prescribed before they went in the water whether it was uh the the webbing was was slung correctly was it a choker was it a basket um did you was the screw pin shackle uh tightened uh and was that even secured the pin secured uh, so it's really following safety protocol that should have been uh, defined and uh, instructed to the diver before ever going in the water. Uh, and, and I think to answer Gary's question is uh, the biggest hazard is just making sure the right instructions have been received, that it's been executed as uh, they've been advised, and has the surface provided the support they need to maintain the diver's safety when using bags. No, and I, I want to just also add to that too, that a lot of times when I've 
seen some of these accidents, it's been something other than the sling or the shackle that has maybe been in, as part of the root cause. It could be some additional polypropylene line that's been uh, it now brought into the fray. And the diver has all of these tools on his harness and he's rigged up all of these different points in which whether it be the polypropylene or or the sling itself but usually more the polypropylene where it can get caught on the diver's kit and of course now once you're ready to cut some of these different lines these different polypro you know a lot of times the setup and the rigging it's too busy it's too busy for the diver to try and understand, okay, where does this, this is attached to this. And so, you know, I, I always felt that if you had a simpler approach to rigging a lift bag, you probably would mitigate um, some of the accidents that, that occur as opposed to just having, you know, this, this plethora of lines and rigging and straps and everything else. But um, just thought I would add, add that. And, and you have to have a rigging plan, you know, that's you, one of the do. big things. You should actually have, have that everything laid out in the dry on the deck before you even, and that there is an understanding, not just on the part of the diver, but the topside crew understanding why things are rigged in the manner in which they are and what needs to be cut at what point of the lift or lowering that takes place. Um, and then, of course, if you're, and if you're working with a crane, that even further complicates it as well. So, you know, you've got it's it's this well choreographed you know, production that needs to take place if you want to ensure that somebody isn't going to get killed on any of these deep, you know, and, and specifically, you know, the, the fatalities that we've had, we're looking at someone that isn't in shallow depths. They're, they're a little deeper. Um, and now we have an uncontrolled ascent. Phil, Phil, I think you're spot on. And, uh, when, when I do participate in training personally, I, develop this uh, concept of develop your dive plan and develop your lift plan. Those are two separate plans and how you coordinate those two separate plans on the rigging and the attachment and the bags and the placement versus the uh, management of the dive side of it. Those are two very different things that need to be understood pre-dive. So you need to do a pre-dive um, review of how that project needs to be implemented. And I, I provide that type of training to military, to public safety, and on the commercial side. And um, all of that is in our operations manual and guidelines. And, and it separates those things and gives you a pre-dive checklist of what you need to think about and do. There's also a whole section on the uh, ADCI consensus standards that has pictures and diagrams, and it's just great. I always use it to reference whenever I have to make a lift. Yeah, this is some this this is something, and and I want folks to know that Rich was the one that had approached me several years back in about us revising our underwater uh, inflatables, our, our lift bag section, because it was too singularly focused on one type of lift bag. Um, and, but we also, to Armando's point, we really didn't have some of those graphics and figures that are there to really aid and assist folks to understand how something should be rigged up. What does it look like? Um, and and I want to give you a lot of credit for that, Rich, because you had been banging that drum for several years. We've got to revise this. It's too narrowly focused. And and I think what was it in 2018? I think that 2017 or 2018 we did. Well, I think we started it maybe that long ago, but I don't think we finished it and adopted it into our uh, consensus standards until sometime after that, but it might have been um, nineteen, right? So you know, uh, again, a little bit of a, a arm's length of understanding all of this is that 
Can you imagine that we manufacture a product that weighs um, less than 100 pounds that can generate buoyancy of six tons? The forces, the forces that you generate with buoyancy are, are really incredible. And I think that um, a diver who can carry this bag, some, for example, a, a one-ton bag under his arm that weighs 15 or 20 pounds, doesn't realize the forces that we're speaking about. And, you know, even in the dry when uh, doing a lift with a crane or doing a lift with uh, some type of lifting apparatus, there's a lot of uh, analysis and time that goes into how you pick something, you know, where you rig, how you rig, how you sling it, how you choke it, um, whether you use um, some type of a lifting frame Imagine doing that underwater, under conditions that you may have limited visibility. You may have other, uh, you know, impairment that uh, is makes it very, very difficult to implement the use of something that is so light in weight that generates so much force due to the force of buoyancy. And and even even when I uh, am involved in different jobs. It's just incredible for me to see these these essentially, you know, plastic bags that are able to generate such forces that raise ships and and lift pipelines and and do these what I'll call Herculean uh, performance and and capabilities that is really pretty fascinating and exciting. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Actually, I was going to ask you, um, how long does a bag last and what kind of repair and maintenance do you have to do? We're asked that question very regularly. And after 45 years of experience, I can tell you that we have clients whose bags last for 20 minutes <laughs> and we have clients whose bags last for 20 years. And, and I think that's just like any tool. So if I asked you about uh, how long a Broco, uh, you know, product lasts underwater, if it's properly maintained and it's used in the proper manner, uh, we have products out there that have been in use for 20 or 25 years. Um, the, the environment plays a big role in that. If, if you've got a, a project that you're in, um, you know, call it, uh, water that's moving and or up against a bulkhead or some kind of a steel structure. And our product happens to be somewhere between those two things. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to take a beating, but, um, they're very heavily manufactured, the materials. Um, we do provide repair kits. Uh, we do have the ability to repair our products on site in the field. We also provide, um, repair services at the company where you can return product to be reconditioned and or repaired. And if they're not repairable, we'll give them a trade into a new product. You know, we want to keep the end user going with safe product. So if they come back and they're not safe to use, we're going to let them know that um, we want to replace that, but we'll give you credit for what you sent to us. Oh, that's awesome. So do your uh, your dealers, do they do any repair work too, or do they just send it back to you guys? So good question. I mean, sometimes because of the location of the customer or the end user, it's more costly to return it to us than it is to uh, have someone local or provide instructions for repair, you know, on site. Uh, we do have certified repair facilities in different places in the world. So, um, but we we pretty much provide the instruction based upon photographs that are sent to us to assess the damage, whether it be minor damage or just uh, re parts that need to be replaced, or if it needs to come back to the factory. But uh, we do have facilities in uh, several locations in the world that can do repairs in those regions. So that, that really does stress the importance of purchasing uh, your products and getting your products repaired from an authorized sub-salve dealer. Um, and how would they find your authorized dealers? Is that just on the website or how do they know? 
we, we do have them, but typically they'll email us or call us directly and we'll refer them to the closest location that they could bring the product or send the product to. So um, our products are very well marked with serialized numbers so we know when they were manufactured, uh, what that product is exactly, and what the uh, repair process might be based upon it being marked with a serial number that we can track. Nice. So is, is there like a serial number, like is there a location that a customer would look to make sure, okay, hey, look, this is a, this is a real sub-salve bag, the cereal's here, or? Well, there's a location by, yes, I by verifying with sub-salve, ah, okay. but would they be able to go online and verify a serial number? No, they wouldn't. They would okay. need to verify directly with the manufacturer with us. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. So, Gary, did you have, uh, or Armando, do you guys have any more questions for, for Rich before we kind of start to wrap things up? No, no, I think it's been a great guest so far. You got another question, Gary? Awesome. Outstanding. Yeah, okay. well, I did. I just wanted to, I know, Rich, uh, all the work you do for the industry is definitely appreciated. One of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about yet, actually, is the work you've done for the ADCI in regards to UI 2023. And so I was just wondering... Um, if you wanted to speak about the upcoming show that we're going to have uh, this first week of December, and if you could kind of, you know, tell the, the listeners what you've been involved with and how the show's changed uh, and what they can expect, because it's been well, about two years since the last show. So if you could. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about maintaining a continuation of underwater intervention. It, it provides a venue for, uh, different end users and people coming into the industry uh, to go and physically meet manufacturers, go to our uh, different uh, here uh, our meetings and topics of, of uh, things that are happening in the industry. And so SubSalve as a company has been going to trade shows for 45 years. Uh, I can honestly say that in 45 years, uh, we probably attended um, – hundreds of different trade shows throughout the world. And with that understanding of uh, some experience in attending those shows and how much value it brings to attendees and people in our industry, um, with the hiatus of underwater intervention of two years, uh, I worked diligently with our board and uh, have finally um, found a venue where we can combine uh, two industries together that perfectly complement. Workboat is a known uh, conference that occurs in the first week of December every year for at least the last 20 that I know of. Uh, SubSalve has attended uh, and exhibited at Workboat for at least 15 of those years. We've also attended and exhibited at Underwater Intervention. Those two venues are absolutely perfectly uh, complementary to ultimately exhibit together. And, and it was about a three-year process, although I've tried to push this prior to that, uh, that we've been able to bring together Workboat International Conference and Underwater Intervention, along with the Association of Diving, uh, excuse me, the American Salvage Association uh, annual meeting and manned and unmanned underwater vehicle uh, annual meetings all in one venue, which will take place at what we're calling Workboat Underwater Intervention 2023 in New Orleans, starting, I believe, November 30th through December 3rd, something like that. Is that right, Phil? Uh, it's 29 December to 1 December. 29 November to 1 December. Yes, 29 November to 1 December. Yes. Yeah, so all of that is now um, in one spot, one spot that uh, not only, you know, companies who want to bring their products and exhibit, but also think about the advantage that it has to attendees that they can now go to one location and save, not only save money, but have a single source of all of this uh, opportunity and value that those different events can, you know, provide to them. 
There's definitely an appetite for it, especially, uh, you know, post COVID where folks did not have the opportunity to meet in person um, and network and, you know, to go to venues like this. As far as the divers are concerned, there's an appetite for the crawfish, right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a huge advancement for our collective groups to be together in one and the impact that that has on both the exhibitors and attendees and, and you know, those who are presenting anything in some of our technical program that's available to those who are attending. Well, that's excellent. Th- thank you, Rich. I really appreciate that. Um, your work really, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the stuff you've done for the dive industry itself. Um, I'm sure one day we're going to be putting your name up there in the hall of fame. If it, if it isn't already. <laughs> oh, it's already there. He was yeah. inducted and in, he was inducted in 2019. Was it 19 or 18? Rich? Actually, it, it was our last UI was 2020. It was 2020. Oh, oh you know, I remember right. that. <laughs> That's right. I think you, did, did you go in with Randy Abadie? I, if I'm not mistaken. No, I, I went in with, um, oh boy, now you're going to put me on the spot. Um, our, our, our counterpart in American Savage Association, uh, who's also on our board. Ah, Mr. Elliot, Mr. Jim yes, Elliot. Jim Elliot. Jim yes. Elliot and I were both inducted in the same year in 2020. And it, it was really a humbling experience to uh, to be inducted and uh, still very, uh, very, very felt very personally that uh, I, I was I was able to achieve that and be part of it. Well, it was the first time I ever saw you without words. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. It was, again, <laughs> it was pretty humbling and, and uh, honorable. It only uh, took a lifetime. Hey, well, you've certainly done a lot. Uh, and, and thank you for coming on here to the downline and gracing us with your presence. Um, uh, with that being said, does anybody have anything else for Mr. Richard Freiberg? I, I just wanted to, again, thank Rich and, you know, I've had the, I've had really the privilege of sitting on the board with you for now quite a few years. And I also had the honor and the privilege of being part of the induction ceremony, for you into the Commercial Diving Hall of Fame and have also had the privilege of working with you in trying to get underwater intervention back up and running again. Uh, and I can tell you that in dealing with you on all of these different levels, you know, you've always been very classy, you've always been very passionate, and you've never been stingy with your time or your support. Uh, so the grateful association, and I think a grateful industry, I want to say thanks. Thank you for that, Phil. It's, it's been a privilege and honor on my part as well. Thank you, Richard, for coming on. It's uh, great to meet you. Yeah. Thank you also. Uh, thanks. And remember guys out there, get your, your sub salve lift bags from an authorized <laughs> dealer like Baytech, uh, uh, or, you know, wherever, the authorized dealers around the world are so not from China, I guess. Right. Well, no, that's what you got to be careful of, man. And, you know? and, and I would say that Rich did a very, very good job of not calling out any particular country well, or sorry company. Sorry about that, guys. Oh, no, no. No, it is, it, it, it is what it is. You're right. It is what it is. There are products manufactured there that uh, could be dangerous and... Um, from companies that have no understanding of underwater applications. So uh, I'll leave that on you. That's not on me. <laughs> well, well, that's why you got the working diver out here to call it what it is, right? <laughs> well, well, no, that's that's the other thing that, that a lot of people don't address. There's actually companies in the United States. I'm not going to mention any company names here, but they will take a product like that's quality, like a lift bag, and then try to private label it and and so that because it comes from the U.S., the guys think, okay, this is quality product from the U.S. And really, it's just another knockoff. But now it's being sold here 
Whereas sometimes, you know, it used to be we have to worry about only seeing counterfeit stuff when we travel outside of the States. But now that it's it's coming over here, it's more important than ever to get your stuff from an authorized dealer and to make sure you're actually getting a good quality product. And when you get yeah, you, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we'll continue to do, whether it's lift bags, helmets or, or rigging or anything is, and, and Rich mentioned that this is one of the things that the association can do is help with that educational process and awareness process of what's fit for purpose and what isn't. Um, but anyway, I, again, Rich, I want to thank you for, for your time. Um, we are going to go ahead and break for commercial. And so with that, um, again, thank you to Mr. Rich Freiberg and SubSal for uh, appearing on this episode of The Downline. That's right. And thanks to Baytech as well for co-sponsoring this with SubSalve. So thank you. And uh, you guys all have a great weekend and a great time whenever the listeners actually are listening to this. So take care. Yeah.